This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of the Socialism 2022 program. You can hear more recorded sessions from the conference by subscribing to the Socialism Conference podcast feed. Many video recordings are also available at socialismconference.org. If you enjoy these recordings, keep an eye on socialismconference.org for updates about the next Socialism Conference and how you can participate. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. If you really want to help us out, rate and review the podcast on Apple or whatever platform you're listening on. It's such an honor to be here today uh, with dedicated comrades and friends, Emily and Miranda, who both of whom Chicago for Abortion Rights have looked to for inspiration on strategy and for solidarity in our battles against the far right. So thank you both for joining me here. Um, In a press conference on Tuesday, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker said Illinois has become an oasis for abortion care. And it's true, for now, abortion will remain legal in Illinois even as it is surrounded by states that are hostile. Missouri has begun to enforce its trigger ban to prohibit abortion entirely. Indiana lawmakers have enacted a total ban on abortion, which will take effect in less than two weeks on September 15th. Kentucky lawmakers argue that their state's vaguely worded trigger ban can be enforced, leaving healthcare providers unsure what is considered medically necessary abortion care and leaving them vulnerable to a felony charge and jail time. Michigan's current governor is supportive of abortion rights, but there is a pre-row ban on the books that, if enforced, would prohibit abortion in nearly all situations. More than 730,000 Michiganders signed a petition for the Reproductive Freedom for All Act, which proposed a state constitutional amendment that would protect abortion rights. But a four-person board deadlocked along partisan lines, does that sound familiar, a nine-person Supreme Court? on whether to put the amendment on the ballot. So for now, abortion rights supporters in the state have to appeal the board's decision at the state Supreme Court level. So all of this means that for now, about 30% of patients seeking abortions in Illinois are from out of state. And that number is expected to rise in the weeks and months to come. Governor J.B. Pritzker promised a special legislative session to help abortion providers expand abortion care by protecting them legally and allocate funds for patient access. He has yet to do so, though he says officials are developing laws that will protect abortion providers and patients from legal liability, allow nurse practitioners to perform abortions so providers can increase capacity and support the creation of more clinics throughout the state. But for now, Illinois healthcare providers are struggling to keep up with the huge increase of patients and are relying more and more on donations to help their resources stretch as far as possible. Even before the fall of Roe, 80% of patients seeking assistance from Chicago Abortion Fund to access abortion care came from out of state. And of course, that number was sure to grow as more and more draconian abortion bans go into effect around us. So for far too long, many socialists have allowed the Democrats and the big NGOs to lead the way in protecting abortion rights. Uh, Since the 1980s, mainstream pro-choice groups have pursued a conscious strategy of moving activism out of the streets, away from grassroots organizing and into electoral campaigns. The old mantra of vote blue no matter who. Funneling more money to lobbyists and sending a message that we have to rely on the Democrats to protect our rights. And that is, as we all see, a losing strategy. And combined with the effective organizing 
long game of the Republicans has resulted in the fall of Roe while the Democrats stand by wringing their hands. We know that the majority of American citizens support abortion rights. Abortion is not an abstract issue for politicians to pay lip service to during election season. The fall of Roe should not be used as merely a membership drive for DSA and other orgs on the left looking to capture the energy of young activists. Abortion is health care, and as socialists, we know that health care should be a basic human right, and we need a movement that will fight for abortion, not just as an individual right to privacy, but as a collective, radical demand for bodily autonomy. Woo! Yep, that's right. <laughs> the same people that want to take away abortion rights are the same people who are pushing anti-trans bills, the same people denying queer people their right for self-determination. They are the same people taking away funding from schools and teachers and giving it to the police, who disproportionately target black and brown and working class bodies, and who will continue to do so as they enforce these abortion bans. We need a movement that will recognize that anti-abortion legislation is just one, one thread in the web of oppression designed to harm the most marginalized and weak among us, and will fight not just to make abortion legal, but for reproductive justice for all which of course includes the right to have a child, the right not to have a child, and the right to parent the children we do have in safe and sustainable communities. So to put it bluntly, we need to actually build a fighting movement for abortion rights for our generation, not just at the ballot box, but in our workplaces, in our places of worship, and in the streets. So how do we do that? That's the hard question. Uh, Mary Bowman, an abortion provider and a Chicago for Abortion Rights member and a dear comrade, said at our Day of Decision Rally that we need everyone's energy and input in doing something that's never been done before, building a movement to win back the rights that have been taken from us. Chicago for Abortion Rights is a network of activists and community members fighting for abortion rights and reproductive freedom for all. It's a coalition of socialists, labor organizers, abortion activists who have been in the movement since before Roe even existed, and folks who are brand new who believe that change is not going to come just from ushering people to the polls. CIFAR, Chicago for Abortion Rights, has done fundraising for Chicago Abortion Fund, organized multiple political education panels on the fight here in the U.S. and also internationally, as well as organized mobilizations in the streets and direct actions against the far right, seeking to unite every layer of abortion rights supporters from labor, students, healthcare and environmental activists, women's rights and LGBTQ activists, and police and prison abolitionists. CIFAR's approach is probably best summarized by one of the banners we carry at most of our actions. Our bodies, our lives, our labor, and our streets. So taking inspiration from the women's and the civil rights movement of the 60s and 70s, and from the recent victories of feminists in Latin America, CIFAR has planned over a dozen rallies, press conferences, and marches in the past two years that brought out thousands of people and featured speakers from the Chicago Teachers Union, National Nurses United, SEIU, UAW, ATU, Defund CPD, Brave Space Alliance, and Chicago Abortion Fund, alongside more traditional pro-choice speakers like representatives from Planned Parenthood and the governor. And my personal point of pride is that we've never allowed Lori Lightfoot to speak at any of our rallies. <laughs> And yes, the speaker list is very union-heavy. Um, that's not an accident. The struggle for reproductive justice is a fight to control the reproduction of labor and is inherently a working-class fight, and it must be waged as such. 
We need labor leaders at the front and center to show legislators and the capitalist class that we know that reproductive rights are labor rights and we're willing to fight for them. But we also need folks having conversations about abortion rights with people in their workplace, organizing to make sure reproductive health care and parental leave are all included in union contracts. So in addition to the rallies and marches that the press covers, um, CIFAR is the lead organizer of the annual counter-protest for the Chicago March for Life, which if you're not familiar, is a group of anti-abortion far-right bigots who bus in folks from all over the Midwest, many of them high school students, for a rally in downtown Chicago every year. And so in January of this year, uh, hundreds of pro-abortion activists on our side brought signs, banners, bullhorns, and their voices outside of Federal Plaza down here as a visible reminder that the vast majority of Americans think abortion should be legal and that the Christian right does not speak for us. Um, March for Life is also attended by the white nationalist Patriot Front, who are very proud to be very vocal participants. And the pro-lifers are protected by the police, in case you needed another reminder of how the fight for abortion rights is deeply connected to the fight against fascism. Um, Emily and our other comrades at NYC for Abortion Rights and our comrades at the Pink House Defenders do so much of this work in the streets against the far right regularly at their clinic defenses. And I really look forward to hearing more from them about history and the present reality of defending patients trying to access abortion care. So, looking to the future, coming up, there is a national call for a weekend of actions in D.C. and around the country in support of abortion rights on October 7th through 9th. And it's put out by Women's March, agree with their politics or not, but they are the group that organized the largest action for women's rights in the history of the U.S. in 2017 inspiring millions to take to the streets in opposition of everything from the Muslim ban to the new misogynist president to abortion bans. And many of those people who were in the streets then have disappeared back into the electoral process, allowing voting to be their main and sometimes only form of political action. However, the state of abortion rights in this country is now so dire that even the people who work on electoral campaigns know that we need to take this issue beyond the ballot box and back into the streets. This change in attitude was reflected by a Women's March-sponsored conference attended by over 3,000 people, most of them young, held in Houston, Texas, in which many people raised from the podium up front again and again that both of the two parties have failed us in the fight for reproductive justice. So in Chicago, we're taking this national call to action and we're running with it. Um, Chicago for Abortion Rights will be organizing a mass action here on October 8th in coalition with many other groups around the city to try and get as many people in the streets in support of abortion rights as possible. And yes, many mainstream liberal orgs will be pushing the vote blue no matter who narrative, but this is an opportunity to use this call, their call, their national call, to spearhead an action that takes on the whole system and brings people out into the streets in the spirit of a feminist in Latin America and in Ireland. And we hope that you'll also take up the mantle in your own communities using this national call to create the kind of anti-racist, anti-capitalist, I would hope abolitionist, fighting movement to win not just free abortion on demand without apology, but reproductive justice for all. So I'll end it here because I'm excited to hear from all of you about the work you're doing in your communities and your ideas for strategy and how to push the movement forward. And to end with, in the words of the legendary activist poet Diane de Prima, there is no one way. It will take all of us shoving at the thing from all sides to bring it down. Thanks. Thank you so much, Mandy.
that was awesome. Uh, next we'll hear from Dorenda. Dogs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. I come to you from where it all started. The place that nobody has ever cared about. I live in Mississippi, the poorest state in the nation. We have a 25% poverty rate. Have y'all heard? The capital city, Jackson, has no running water right now. Haven't had for several days. Probably won't have for several more weeks. Mississippi has the highest maternal mortality rate in the nation, the highest teen birth rate. Yet, with its long history of oppression, having won the case that overturned Roe v. Wade is one of their biggest sources of pride. Jackson Women's Health Organization, the Pink House, opened in 1995, and for the last 18 years, has been the only abortion provider in the state of Mississippi. I've been a volunteer at the clinic for over 10 years. I've been in that parking lot with patients and more importantly, standing against anti-choice protesters for over 14,000 hours. On July 6th, Everything changed. She's beautiful, isn't she? Sure, that bright coat of Pepto-Bismol pink paint that Diane dressed her in 10 years ago has faded under the hot Mississippi sun. We rather like that faded look. It's now a calming pink. There are a few small cracks running up the sides of that building. Those are battle scars. 27 years of fighting just to keep your doors open, we'll do that to you. That wrought iron fence serves as a barricade between the patients and the antis. And that still stands strong. There's bits of rust here and there that represent the hate that those antis projected that was filtered out by that black cloth barrier. It may not have muffled their persistent yelling, but it blocked those judgmental stares. The bottom of the steps there's a little area called the pit. Under the canopy that shields from the sun and the rain sets a simple metal table, a few chairs 
in a cooler filled with water. Patients can recompense there after walking that gauntlet through the parking lot or wait outside of the antis for their ride to return for them. Between both tears and laughter, friendships had begun at that table. The pits served as a small sanctuary in the middle of all the chaos. The cold gray sidewalk has long served as the battleground of a war that should never have been. One's healthcare decisions are not a compatible issue. But for years, those seeking abortion access were forced to be soldiers in the fight for their own bodily autonomy. These sidewalks could talk. Well, there she sits in all her glory. No hiding in the shadows, right on top of that hill, pink and proud for everyone to see. She's been a beacon of hope, a refuge for all of those in Mississippi and the surrounding states that needed her services. It's all over now, y'all. This afternoon, the Pink House will lock the doors for the final time. Know that she never looked back, she never backed down, and she went out fighting for all of you. Today, safe legal abortion in Mississippi and the Pink House have come to an end. So, on July 6th, we became one of 48 clinics that have closed in the last two months. Twelve states now have no legal abortion access. As Mandy said, Indiana joins next week. Georgia and Ohio both have six-week bans. In five states, the bans have been temporarily blocked. Those blocks are not likely going to stand. So, y'all, how did we get here? In 1969, the National Organization for the Repeal of Abortion Laws, better known as NARAL, from their beginning, they chose to engage in controversial and direct actions. They distanced themselves from the lobbying approach that PP and the other organizations like that were taking. Along with NOW, the National Organization of Women and the Feminist Majority, they organized demonstrations and direct actions nationwide consistently until Roe v. Wade was won. In the late 80s and the early 90s, when clinics were being blockaded, Feminist Majority recruited and trained thousands of volunteers to actually defend abortion clinic patients and staff. With all of this force on the ground, what happened? 
we stopped defending. With the passage of the FACE Act, the Federal Access to Clinic Entrances in 1994, it was being enforced at the time and we got comfortable. The big elephant in the room convinced everyone that this war could be won through the legislative process and in the courts. One of the first missteps was converting clinic escorts to be non-engagement, to not push back against the haters on the sidewalk. This was under the guise of it contributed to the chaos. Not so. The antis bring the chaos. When we stopped defending, we rolled out the red carpet to the antis. With no pushback, they continued to gain more and more ground. And here we are. So where do we go from here? We all know that we have to get back in the streets. But you can't win a war if you don't know two things. Who is the enemy and what is their goal? The enemy, who we refer to as the anti-abortion movement, our Christian nationalist movement, primarily white. Their goal is to make the United States a theocracy. And if you're from where I'm from in Mississippi, it already is. Abortion is only one item on an incredibly long agenda that includes same-sex marriage, voting rights, immigrants, atheists, anyone who doesn't look and act like them and believe as they do. They believe there is no law except God's law, and they'll tell you that. The director of Operation Save America which is an offshoot of Operation Rescue, Jason Storms was hanging off the scaffolding in D.C. on January the 6th at the insurrection. So don't think for one minute that abortion is their only priority. So it's going to be incredibly bold of us if we think that the repro rights community no matter how energized or angry we are right now, could win this war alone. It will take all of us. And in order to recruit more comrades to our cause, we must refer to abortion as what it really is, a human right. So this may not be a popular opinion, coming from one of the states that's already lost this battle, what we have to do is move on. Don't forget we're there. Donate to abortion funds, practical support funds. Try to help get our people where they need to go. What we have to do is protect the states 
that still have access. First, we have to do that by prioritizing clinic defense. We cannot be silent and turn our backs, but we must confront and engage the enemy where they stand. The Christian nationalist movement are mobilizing forces in all of the safe states right now. Clinic blockades will become commonplace again on a daily basis. I can promise you right now, there's going to be a clinic blockade next week in Michigan. I haven't found out where yet. I'm watching the antis. It's going to happen. If we don't stand our ground at clinic doors now, there will be no clinics left to defend. <coughs> Mass protest and direct actions are mandatory if human rights are to be salvaged. The five states which have temporary blocked bans, North Dakota, South Carolina, Utah, West Virginia, and Wyoming, need to be occupied. We need to occupy the steps of the state capitals in every one of those states and demand that these bans not go into effect. So, like, Another probably not popular thing, but the Occupy movement, though flawed, brought the issues of social injustice and wealth inequality to the general public's attention, and people acted. Though short-lived, there were over 900 occupations. We must create the same numbers, energy, and anger on an equal scale. In order to do so, the public has to be educated on who these Christian nationalists are and what they really want, a theocratic society. If we fail at doing this, any other strategies or tactics that we may have won't matter. It will all be too late. Thank you so much, Dranda. That was very powerful. Um, now I'd like to introduce Emily Janikaram. Hi everyone, thank you for being here and thank you so much Mandy and for Dorinda for such incredibly powerful talks. I feel a little emotional honestly. Okay, um, so I'll just get right into it. Um, the overturn of Roe v. Wade at this moment is not accidentally timed. For the past five to ten years or so, we have been in the midst of a galvanized labor movement, the scale of which many of us have not seen in our lifetimes, as well as a growing anti-police movement. These developments could only be met in one or two ways with greater concessions to the working class, or with escalating surveillance and criminalization. And thus, the fight for abortion rights is class struggle, a struggle for liberation, which rejects not only patriarchal control over our bodies, but the control of the capitalist state over our lives. 
Um, but obviously, the overturn of Roe didn't just happen in the past five years. Uh, it's been decades in the making as the ruling class and the Christo-fascists ally to advance a hyper-capitalist, racist, right-wing socioeconomic agenda. Um, throughout the 80s and 90s, the anti-abortion movement conducted a sustained and highly organized campaign of violence, harassment, and intimidation towards abortion patients and providers. Operation Rescue is one of the largest and most notorious of these organizations. Founded by Randall Terry in 1986, their slogan was, if you believe abortion is murder, act like it's murder. Uh, the antis would physically blockade abortion clinics, they'd chain themselves to entrances, they'd assault escorts and clinic defenders, and they'd scream invectives at patients entering the clinic, um, they'd stalk abortion providers and commit violence against them. In 1991, during what was called the Summer of Mercy, thousands of antis descended onto Wichita, Kansas by the busload to protest three abortion clinics and focusing mainly on the clinic of George Tiller who was the only doctor in the region performing late-term post-viability abortions. They blocked the streets, the clinic doors, and you know they would kind of throw themselves under incoming cars to pre prevent uh, traffic from, from getting by. The action lasted six weeks, and around 3,000 arrests were made. Um, Antis would like get arrested, be held for like 24 hours, and then come right back out onto the streets. And in fact, afterwards, even though there were so many arrests, Randall Terry like praised the Kansas Police Department for how, how well and how closely he worked with them, um, which, I'll get, which is an interesting connection that I'll get to later. Um, in 2009, almost 20 years later, George Tiller was murdered by anti-abortion activist Scott Roeder. Um, Operation Rescue officially distanced him, themselves from him and from the murder, but Roeder did have ties to the organization. I believe he was donating to them and did have contact with their leadership. Um, after the passage of the 1994 FACE Act, Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, uh, which made obstructing the entrance of a medical clinic or interrupting its operations a felony, the anti-abortion movement switched to less arrestable tactics like sidewalk counseling and maintaining a distance from the clinic doors, but still you know, using intimidation, lies, fear, threats, uh, shame to um, harass patients as they entered. And as uh, Dorenda pointed out, the anti-abortion Movement, or excuse me, the um, pro-choice movement became more complacent um, after the passage of the FACE Act. And in, with the result that in recent years we've seen a big resurgence of the anti-abortion movement's older tactics and members of those previous groups, which I mentioned, are very much active in this resurgence. They're like the direct descendants of it. Um, one misconception that uh, I've encountered by um, you know, other comrades, other socialists, in, is that the antis that protest in uh, the clinics in New York City are just a bunch of random assholes, but they're not. They are uh, part of an extremely well-funded and well-coordinated movement led by these seasoned anti-abortion activists. Um, for instance, former members of Operation Rescue uh, and other activists from that era are actively involved in Red Rose Rescue, um, which is a rebranded and repackaged mm, 21st century version of it, which began in 2018. Um, and this organization trespasses into the waiting rooms of clinics and hands red roses to the patients who are waiting inside, trying to convince them not to go through with their appointments. When the police are called, they go limp, uh, they refuse to leave, um, sometimes they handcuff themselves to the doors or whatever of the clinic, or the, even the bathrooms, um, and uh, insist that they're remaining in solidarity with the unborn. Um, and in fact, this is a tactic that they've copied from 
act up uh, actions in their churches. Uh, recently, three, uh, three Red Rose rescuers were arrested in White Plains, New York, and given three-month sentences. One of these arrested Red Rose rescuers is Fidelis Mojinski, who is the figurehead of the Archdiocese of New York's Witness for Life campaign, which is a monthly campaign of clinic harassment that the church leads from its uh, St. Patrick's Basilica to the Soho Planned Parenthood. Uh, Fidelis of course, is one of these people that has been involved with clinic harassment since the 90s and was trained in that like Operation Rescue tradition. Um, and so what a clinic defense looks like is, you know, we, we do a moving picket outside the church while they're gathering and rallying inside. And then we attempt to block and delay them from getting to the clinic. Um, and we have a few people then outside the clinic who block the aunties from view with like banners and umbrellas and um, that say stuff like, your body, your choice, and we love our clinics and stuff like that. Um, they also have members that pose as clinic uh, Planned Parenthood volunteer escorts. They wear like the vests and stand up right by the clinic doors to try and like trick patients into talking to them. So we have someone that stands next to that person with a sign that says fake escort, like don't talk to this person. <laughs> it's pretty nuts. <laughs> um, and just like um, Patriot Front shows up in Chicago, we have like a whole collection of assorted groipers or groiper wannabes, right-wing streamers that love to come to New York as well. Um, so, the church always has an NYPD escort that acts really brutally towards us. They love to push, shove, everything. Um, and uh, uh, they deploy the notoriously violent strategic response group to arrest our members. We've had arrests happen before, not that many but a couple, whereas the antis have never been arrested. Um, they, in fact, allow, allow the antis to go right up to the clinic doors and you know, do all their nonsense. Um, SRG, of course, for those who don't know, is the arm of the NYPD originally crafted as counterterrorism, then reconfigured during the 2020 uprising for black lives to quash protests specifically, and is also now deployed to conduct violent sweeps of homeless encampments as part of Eric Adams' whole agenda. Um, they do nothing to help patients enter the clinic safely, and it's very clear that they're allied with the church. Um, you can see them talking and joking, being buddies, even talking about like tactics, like how they can most effectively help the antis get to the clinic. So, um, the Archdiocese isn't the only group that we have to contend with in New York. Another major player is Love Life, um, an evangelical far-right registered nonprofit, which is extremely well-funded, and founded by Jason and David Benham, who are the sons of Flip Benham, the major like founder of, or figurehead of Operation Save America, who Dorenda mentioned. Um, Love Life's tactics are a bit different. Um, they were founded in, very recently in North Carolina, and they now have branches all over the country, including an office in New York. Um, and they go right up to the clinic doors um, to do like sidewalk counseling, which is basically like directly harassing patients and giving them like pamphlets or whatever, and they live stream it. So they have like the, patient, the faces of patients going to the clinic that like all over the country being broadcast into this room where there's like these two white guys that comment on it, like it's a football game. It's, uh, it's pretty wild. Um, and so what we sometimes do is send people to kind of disrupt their live stream and make it so that like they can't really do this. So like someone, like there's a picture of one of us showing, um, holding up a sign that says love life is a cult. I think someone brandished a dildo one time in the background. <laughs> um, so that was pretty cool. But you know, they are changing up their tactics and they have more people than we are and they are like nationwide. Um, 
And uh, so, you know, that's pretty rough. Um, there's another organization that calls itself Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, or PAAU, uh, <laughs> which kind of sprung up out of nowhere in November 2021 and was like very clearly like astroturfed. They co-opt leftist rhetoric like abortion industrial complex, abolish the abortion industry, um, and they're like pretty cringe. Um, they have like this very slick merchandise, including like a fetus that's in the colors of the progressive pride flag. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's bad. Um, and uh, despite their avowed left-wing politics, they have deep ties to Fidel Smoginski and Randall Terry. Uh, PAAU does pink rose, re pink rose rescues, which are obviously just co like copies of red rose rescues. We've seen them getting buddy-buddy with Fidelis. Um, and uh, actually, Randall Terry showed up uh, leading their press conference a few months ago. I don't know if you were following. One of their members had the five fetuses in her apartment that, that the police found, and then they had a press conference. And Randall Terry was there, um, you know, uh, kind of really inciting violence against this one abortion clinic that they had stolen the fetuses from. Um, they're very active on social media, and they do a lot of recruiting of young people on platforms like TikTok. And they are, they are dangerous because they're very good at poking holes in liberal, mainstream, pro-choice rhetoric um, for people that have not been exposed to a different way of looking at abortion rights. Um, so the insights we've gained from clinic defense and engaging with the robust anti-abortion movement center around the importance of direct action the connection between abortion and abolitionist practice, and the absolute necessity of contextualizing abortion within an intersectional, feminist, anti-racist class struggle. Sorry. Um, the right's rebranded anti-abortion militancy has been very successful at co-opting the rhetoric and the tactics of the civil rights movement. They call their acts of harassment civil disobedience and solidarity with the unborn, they cast the unborn as the most vulnerable, marginalized population. Um, and they kind of claim this martyrdom when they do get arrested for invading clinics, um, even though obviously the right loves cops, you know, so it's pretty ironic. Um, they refer to their actions as going to Calvary and confronting the evil where it takes place. In a recent video, Fidel Smoginski and another longtime anti, Monica Miliorino Miller, reminisce fondly about the good old days of clinic invasion and urge viewers to consider what they're prepared to do to defend the unborn, including risking arrest. Um, they refer to New York City as the abortion capital of the world, and like Dorenda mentioned, as abortion bans spread throughout the country and patients travel to New York for abortion care, we can expect antis to start coming there by the busload as well. Eric Adams has pledged to defend abortion access in the city, and his administration claims that they will rely on the NYPD to do so. But <laughs> anyone who's attended a clinic defense in New York knows that this is a ludicrous claim when they're the ones actually helping the antis go to the clinic. And in fact, if you look at the antis, you can see which one of them, ones of them are either under, like, either off-duty cops or cops from somewhere else or retired cops because they look like thumbs, you know? <laughs> What's especially great is when you see someone that's obviously a retired cop holding up a sign that says, like a white guy that looks like a thumb, holding up a sign that says, abortion is racist violence against black people. Um, so what's necessary is to build a robust grassroots, grassroots clinic defense movement that can be mobilized to reclaim the clinic space. That's like nationwide 
and you know which the antis have been they've beaten us at it at it so far they've they've done it better than we have so we need to do it better than them now um and we've seen that when we turn out enough people to picket outside their church they don't march to the clinic when we get enough people to put pressure on the church that's hosting this group they've canceled um this procession before so it can be done if we have the numbers to do it <sighs> okay um the role of the police is to protect private properties and the interests of the ruling class. Um, abortion bans are about exerting control over our streets, our clinics, our bodies, and our labor. Um, and the criminalization of self-managed abortion in many states means that it's not just abortion providers who will be impacted. It's people who manage their own abortions who are already facing police persecution and have been for some time. Most, like recently, I'm sure you all saw that case in Nebraska where a teen and her mother were both um, arrested for having induced an abortion with uh, abortion pills. And it has been and will continue to be black and brown people, indigenous people, and undocumented people who will face the brunt of police violence for exercising control over their reproduction. That is why building the networks to distribute the abortion pill and instruct people on how to safely manage their abortions in a police state is a vital part of building a mass working class movement to win free, safe, legal abortion on demand. Sometimes people place these efforts in opposition to each other, but I see them as inseparable. Um, okay. Something that the antis love to point out is that our culture does not value life. Um, and of course, that's extremely hypocritical for the right to say because, like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, uh, the statement itself is true. Our society does not value life because we have a capitalist society and capitalism does not value life, it only values profit. That is why we, as New York City for Abortion Rights, reject the framework of pro-choice and pro-life. Instead, we uphold and affirm the reproductive justice platform of Black Feminist Collective Sister Song, which is the right to have a child, not to have a child, and the right to parent any children we have in safe and sustainable communities. So we can't win if we're just only talking about choice, because the anti-abortion movement is pretty successful at saying, like, is it really a choice to have an abortion if you can't afford to have a child? The ruling class wants the poor to kill their babies, um, which is not true, but we need, we need a movement that really shows about that controlling our reproduction is an inherent part of our right as workers, as laborers, as women, as trans people. Um, it, can't be, it can't be just relegated to the sphere of privacy and free, what do they call it? Safe, legal, and rare. Um, the fight for abortion rights is inextricable from the fight for racial justice, for workers' rights, for housing, for free movement across borders, for police abolition, for environmental justice, and for an end to imperialist war. Um, abortion rights have never just been benevolently handed, handed down by the courts, but by but won by militant left-wing feminist movements, both in the US, before Rio, and in Latin America and in Ireland. Um, and we have to go through the struggles we want to win. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, Subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.